the hell's he doing? It's almost like he wants to make sure that we see him. Let's play ball. and the nerds who haunt themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and I love movies, which is lucky because each episode I'm joined by a guest to talk about a movie they love and see where the conversation takes us from there. Whether you're a regular listener or just dropping by for this episode, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us a listen. Hope you enjoyed the film talk and as always if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the Amboy Not group on Facebook or wherever you see this episode posted. For this episode I'm joined by artist Sean Longmore as we discuss the 1999 Pierce Brosnan-led remake of The Thomas Crown Affair, as well as Sean's work creating the sleeve art for the new Blu-ray release from 88 Films. And now with an advance warning on spoilers and all that intro stuff out of the way, let's roll the trailer. I want you to talk about women. Oh, I enjoy women. A woman could trust me, as long as her interest didn't run too contrary to my own. This painting is worth a hundred million bucks. They shut off the air to drive out the tourists. Then they close the gates to keep everybody out. Diversion. Make a lot of noise over there. So over here in this room, you can take a hundred million off the wall and waltz right out the front door. Oh, that's good. Oh, yes. We know each other? Not yet. I'm Catherine Banning. And whose head are you after? Yours. You're enjoying something. A worthy adversary? An entertainment. Do you really think I'm going to sleep with the man I'm investigating? Hmm? <laughs> Almost get your man? Mm-hmm. Think you'll get me? Oh, I hope so. Oh, this must go over. With whom? Whomever you bring here. I never bring anyone here. Well, you got your hand caught in a cookie jar now. How are you going to get out of it? You don't believe it's possible that you could ever trust me, do you? You're transferring assets, getting ready to run. Suppose I did run. Then what would you have? Not the painting, $5 million fee, and not me. Do you want to dance? Or do you want to dance? I want you to do your job. Because right now, you're acting like a junkie. This is about money. It's not about the money. We like the chase. I can live here tomorrow. So can you. Mommy! How can I possibly trust you? I'm gonna trust you. Hello, Sean. How are you? Hi, I'm not too bad, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm uh, ticking on. How was your... uh... Barbenheim weekend or Barbenheimer oh yeah crazy crazy saw them both back to back caught Oppenheimer in 70 millimeter IMAX um did Oppenheimer then Barbie I was gonna say which order did you do it in that seems to be the big (laughs) point of contention Uh, yeah yeah I I saw lots of people wearing pink there was the crowds between the two films were so so like starkly different yeah but it was great I, I love the crossover, though. I love that there are people going out of one and straight into the other. It's just... I oh, yeah, there, there like... was lots of... 
it was fun to see people in sort of pink or in cowboy hats wandering into Oppenheimer and sitting down. It's been nice to just see film being talked about in, I mean, beyond, you know, box office doom and gloom and all that sort of stuff that seems to be the only thing that it's covered now. It's actually a excitement about cinema kind of thing. It's been great to see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And people are rediscovering actually going to the cinema properly. Yeah. That's it. Which That's, is nice. It feels like an event, which is what it should be, I think. I think with the combination of the pandemic and a fairly formulaic series of films coming out, people have got a bit muted to the whole idea of film and it's great to see people excited about it again. And Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you're a Barbenheimer poster that's been <laughs> doing the rounds on various news sites and knockoff t-shirts. Yeah, that was, yeah <laughs> that, I imagine there's a lot of people, that, there's people I know that have seen that poster and then I'd be like, oh, I made that. And they'll be like, what? I've just seen that everywhere and they had no idea it was me. <laughs> Um, it was, I was crazy. Um, and I've got to thank the guys over at Layered Butter every time I talk about it because they came up with the original idea and I said, I'll do it if I can put Dua Lipa on the front because I'm a big Dua yeah. Lipa fan. I was like, if I can put Dua Lipa front and center, I'll do it. Um, and I thought it was, I would literally, I remember saying, um, to someone as, as I was doing it, I was like, no one's, this is not really going to be anything. It'll just land, it probably like land like a dud. 50 people or so will like it and it'll just, um just sort of like hide away and i was like I, so i was just i was like oh okay this is just a funny thing i'm making for myself and now two weeks later it's been everywhere i've been on the news I was, <laughs> i've been in various videos i was like what this is crazy and i felt i felt it watching oppenheimer the responsibility he feels of creating the nuke i was like i'm partially responsible for the monstrosity that is barbenheimer <laughs> i was sat there like oh my god i feel this That's it, no one it. here knows You've visualized it. You've given it art. It's, <laughs> it's been an awesome thing. Sort of tangentially leading on to something else you've also provided art before. Today, we're talking about the Thomas Crown Affair, and we'll get a little bit more into your contribution to it towards the end when we uh, plug the new Blu-ray coming out. Um, but yes, yeah, so a little bit of information about the film. So directed by John McTiernan and written by Leslie Dixon and Kurt Wimmer, based on a screenplay by Alan R. Trussman. Starring Pierce Brosnan, Rennie Russo, and Dennis Leary, and also starring, but not listed on the poster, Ben Gazzara, Frankie Faison, and Faye Dunaway. Released in cinemas on the 6th of August 1999 in the US and the 20th of August 1999 in the UK. Grossed $124,305,184 worldwide, an estimated budget of $48 million. That's according to IMDb. Roger Ebert gave the film two and a half stars out of four, saying, the movie has a low-key, luxurious feeling to it. It's languorous and comfortable. Rosalind and Russo seem to massage their words before saying, but it all feels like an exercise. I don't know, it's not a bad movie. It might be fun to see on an aeroplane or rent on video. Despite the cleverness of the caper and the beauty of the lush locations, the wit in the dialogue and the neat twists and turns, it never seems to risk anything. There's something odd about a caper romance where you never believe anyone is really ever going to go into jail or bed. I couldn't find a Barry Norman review, but Bob McCabe in Empire gave the film four stars out of five, saying, a smart, stylish, sophisticated and sexy as its leads, the Thomas Crane affair is unlike anything else out this summer. In many ways, it's this year's out of sight, the heat turned up high. A slick thriller with sizzling chemistry between Russo and Brosnan. One middling one from Roger Ebert, slightly above middling, and a good one from Empire. So what are your memories of first seeing the film? Was it a cinema job for you or discovered on video? Oh, no, well, no, no. It's so... Ooh, where are we going back with it? I, I, must, I don't agree with the Roger Ebert review, I will say. The no, he was, was... Much, he's much more in keeping. His TV oh review is actually a lot more positive. I've noticed a lot with Roger Ebert, his written reviews seem to be harsher than when he's on TV. But mm-hmm. he was a bit more positive when he was talking about it on the telly. Oh, that's uh-huh. good. Uh, no, I was... So 1999, I was four. 
Ah, so okay <laughs> it, it was a cinema job for me that would have interestingly that would have been around the same time though i was discovering bond as a kid yeah um my first memory of a thomas crown affair is oh it would have been a few years after that and it would have been seeing the trailer for the film and i can i can distinctly remember the trailer the v8 and it, it was on and it was on either golden eye or tomorrow never dies the VHS because they're both MGM. And I remember watching that because I watched those videos on repeat as a kid. I, all the Bonds were literally cycled for me as a kid. I'm a huge Bond fan. Um, and so I'd see that trailer so many times. And I distinctly remember, well, I don't distinctly, I vaguely remember as being a five, six-year-old kid, um, having a conversation with my mom and going, that's another that's another Pierce Brosnan James Bond film. I, I want to see that. And my mum's great way of dismissing me uh, when I wanted something as a kid um, would be to go, oh, no, that you don't want that. That looks boring. That's boring. You don't need that. Um, so I can just remember my watching that trailer and my mum saying, that's boring, just so she didn't have to go and you know, pay for another video for me because I was yeah. already absolutely rinsing her with Bond videos. <laughs> um, so then it would have been years after, and I don't remember when I first caught it, I suspect it would have been as I was a teenager, something I used to love to do as a teenager was just sit and watch film four at night. Yeah. Um, on a school night, I had TV, a little TV in my room with three views. So I'd go and once I'd gone to bed, I'd sneak on film four and watch whatever's on. And I think that's where I must've first caught it. Um, and then I didn't see it again properly then until I was at uni. So about 2013, 2014 and sat and watched it on Blu-ray. But I always had this sort of wondrous fascination with it growing up as a kid. Like, what is this film? What is that? And then in my ear, just my mum going, oh, that's boring. You don't want that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine many four-year-olds clambering to see it at the cinema. <laughs> no, no. No, I, it, was, it was just because it was Pierce Brosnan and because yeah. I'd seen it so many times on the front of that VHS. Yeah, I remember first becoming aware of it in magazines. There used to be a film magazine called Neon and they gave away a poster and it was the picture of um, Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo sitting in the car on the caribbean island mm -hmm. and it was just a publicity still of that i was like that looks really cool and then i saw more and more about it and then i saw the trailer because i was going to the cinema a lot in 99 because 99 was an amazing year for films good and bad and then i went to see it at the cinema on i've still got my cinema ticket oh the, wow on the 22nd of august 1999 which was my birthday oh i went at 10 to 9 to watch it with my then girlfriend and i loved it i, I was 20 it was my 20th birthday so felt one of those films that feels weirdly grown up that's, a, that's awesome that's a great birthday film that as well and yeah i loved okay. it and had you had you seen the had you seen the original before that? i hadn't no i watched the original a couple of years later i bought it on dvd i possibly had seen some of the original before when i was a kid in that way that you watch old movies with your parents and yeah some of them go in and some of them don't have you seen the original i have yes and this is this is a, the the example when i'm when i'm talking this is the example i always use of the perfect hollywood remake um because the original i find is okay uh steve mcqueen and faye dunaway are great but it's neither of them's like best film it's kind of it, it, it carries i find it carries through a little bit um and doesn't make that much of an impact with me and this is what i think a remake should be is taking something that was once kind of just okay and then making a great version yeah. of it rather than remaking stuff that was already good i think this is yeah that's it and having for that my thing with the original i don't know if it's because i saw the remake first is that it just feels quite flat there's a mm -hmm. two scenes you can compare in this is the regret is often a waste of time 
you figured out what you're going to tell your board when they find out you paid me 30 million more. That's great in the Brosnan one. In the McQueen one, he just goes, you paid too much. It's really flat. Yeah. It's a bit like the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull trailer where Indiana Jones says part-time in the trailer is amazing. And the film's part-time. Like, part-time. <laughs> what happened? Why would you go for that? Why did you use but, the take? But, and I know there are people who prefer the original who obviously came from the original first and we'll get into potential remakes later on. Um, whether I'd feel the same about another version of the film later on down the line. But I don't know, it's just, it was a weird time. Like the Empire Review said about outside the year before, it was a very sexy time for cinema. And I don't mean that in a leery, blokey sort of way. I mean that in a just sort of adult, not exploitative, but just really sexy films with Mm -hmm. people with amazing chemistry. I think that was my big disappointment when I went from this to The World Is Not Enough, because, again, I'm a massive Bond fan as well. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason for seeing this was it was Pierce Brosnan, who was the current James mm-hmm. Bond, is that he has such good chemistry with Rene Russo in this. That him with then, and again, I've come around a lot on World Is Not Enough since. Um, his chemistry with Denise Richards is just a bit, oh, I kind of wish they had some of that. Oh, bless, bless Denise Thomas Richards. Crane, yeah. Catherine Bannon. Thomas- sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that sort of... The chase of trying to warn up each other. I, yeah. Actually, that would have that would have worked really well for Christmas Jones as a character. I think. Yeah, it's and she was age appropriate for Pierce Brosnan as well. I don't mean that in a, but you know, Denise Richards looks like a teenager. I mean, a couple of years ago, she was before she was cast as a teenager. Obviously, we're diving into what is not enough a bit more, but yeah, <laughs> it, it was nice to see age appropriate people being sexy, like people in their forties, kind of thing. You wouldn't get that. <laughs> I, I do wonder whether there was any pushback about. Could you cast like somebody in their twenties or thirties? As yeah, you could, you can imagine it, can't you? The sleazy producer being like, "No, she needs to be younger." But was was Renny? So I'm again a little baby at the time. Was Renny Russo really big pre Thomas Crown Affair? Not really. She'd been in lethal, the two lethal, last two lethal weapon films, in the Line of Fire, Outbreak, and a couple of other films as well. But I remember reading in Empire at the time, um, John McTiernan saying that he'd approached her and said that she'd never really been in a film where she'd got to be sexy. So that was his reason for pursuing her for that. I think I think she's just perfect. Like I said, th- those two together, and when you watch interviews with them from the time, they've got off-screen chemistry as well. Mm-hmm. You can tell that they, it was like perfect casting. They just gel. And it's, it's... Absolutely. And a bit, and I think Pierce in this as well, what I, what I, I often, particularly in Bond circles, poor Pierce Brosnan doesn't get enough credit for actually being a great actor. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that view Pierce Brosnan as the perfect Bond as just sort of an archetypal figure. But don't give his acting ability enough credit and i think what i love about this is he's he's very obviously still pierce brosnan but you're not watching him and you don't think that's james bond he's playing a completely different character and you're kind of sucked into that i remember a friend saying it's like the best bruce wayne movie of bruce wayne never became batman <laughs> and it's like yeah it's really got that kind of energy but it is it's, it's kind of what i wish his bond films had been if, I think if he'd have had a bit more freedom, I get the feeling that in the films he was doing outside of Bond, he was getting to play a little bit with what he possibly wanted to do with Bond. Yes. I mean, he's been fairly open since that he was fairly constrained in the role of Bond with not being able to do the stuff he wanted. He certainly didn't get the freedom that Daniel Craig was given. But he's he's credited as producer on Tom and Craig, Thomas Crown. Yeah, it's his company, so he would Irish have, Dreamtime. So I guess he would have had the same sort of input that Daniel Craig did yeah. on his later bonds as well, because he was credited as producer there. Scotch, neat for me, and I guess the lady would like a... Um, what? That the lady actually likes champagne. 
We have Coupe uh, Grand Cuvée 1981. Sounds great, thank you. Wonderful. On the way. You've been busy. <laughs> I'm sure your files are thicker than mine. Wow. The thing that impressed me most mm -hmm. was getting from Glasgow to Oxford on a boxing scholarship. Not bad for the wee lad from Glasgow. Mm. It's easy. Rich kids can't box. <laughs> the hard part was learning to talk. But you know, the manager, mm. the Italian industrialist, the ambassador's son. He was cute. He was 17. <laughs> yes, he was. I must admit, that's a fair litany for a young girl from Lima, Ohio. But the part I didn't get, I mean, it's obvious that you like men. But you never keep any of them around very long either. Oh, well, men make women messy. Thank you. Here's to the fear of being trapped. It's one of those films, everything was John McTiernan's great choice for direct. The film looks amazing. I love that the opening credits kind of reveal the switch twist from the film. Yeah. <laughs> you don't you don't it pocket the, the first time you watch it. Yeah. Um, Bill Conti scores amazing, even if it has been used in The Apprentice since and kind of ruined. <laughs> oh, I I know I adore I adore the score. I've been and I'm, I when I was making the Blu-ray, I was listening to it on a loop always. Um, but I love I love the way he weaves Cinnamon in throughout, yeah. just sort of hints at it, and then it all comes together at the end. But also, yeah. just just the wild sort of scope of it, even like stuff like the piano source music, is really. In, it sounds like it's from a different composer, but it's all him and it's all doing a great job. And then there's stuff with electric guitar earlier on when they're um when they're busting into the Oh yeah, when they're doing the gallery. The, the heist. It's yes, yeah, it's, it is. It's like multiple different scores, isn't it? it mm -hmm. I kind of wish La La Land or something like that would give it a proper, like, proper two disc. Yeah, it's, like yeah, it's, it the... has it's disappeared. It's on it's on YouTube, but I've not seen a yeah. physical version. I've, so I've got the standard one that came out mm -hmm. at the time of the film because again it's got that it's got great songs on it as well but yeah I was obsessed I, possibly, I mean this is one of my all time top five movies <laughs> again which oh, wow. is why when I saw you you posted the thing coming out from 88 films I was like oh 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 finally somebody yeah. I can talk about the film with <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I no no yeah I know I, I love it I love I, I genuinely think this is it's such a it's it's underrated for sure. Yeah. Doesn't get enough credit. And it's one of those movies where you hear a lot people talk about movies that are ahead of their time. And often they're sort of franchise movies that are then kind of got a reappreciation a little bit further down the line. But I think this in a way was ahead of its time and just yeah. doesn't sort of get that credit. It's a it's a it's just such an intelligent film, and it's one of those films where every little detail matters. Yeah, you can go back and clock on every. every there's nothing. John Matina doesn't waste anything throughout the film. Like, if if it's in shot, it probably counts somewhere, and it, it's a puzzle to sort of put together. And I I love films like that. That's it, and it's the perfect sort of just over ninety minutes sort of runtime. It's mm -hmm. nothing's wasted in it. Like you say, it's just. Tight leaves you wanting more, but at the same time, glad for everything you got, kind of thing. Because I'm sort of at the time, it was very, it was well reviewed, and I think it was pretty well received. Obviously, you've got Brosnan at peak Bond fame, sort of the backlash hadn't started yet, kind of thing. 
in that way the backlash always happens after an actor leaves the role <laughs> and the new guy comes in and then everybody's because again Rosnan was considered the best bond at the time we sort of talked about it when we did our bond yeah. ranking episode that people forget that at the time he was like you know people's favorite well, yeah, bond, I, the best james I, bond i remember that as a kid and i grew up with him so i love him he's he's he, Roger Moore was my favourite, but he's the one I have a biggest connection with because I remember him just being all over Bond merch. And he, yeah. Pierce Brosnan was everywhere in those first few years of the 2000s. And people do forget, a lot of people now slate Die Another Day, but people forget that it was massively successful at the time. Yeah, it was the highest grossing one at the time, wasn't it? It's... Yeah, and it, and it was pretty critically well-reviewed at the time yeah. as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, I we said it on our I did a Bond ranking episode a couple of months ago, but we said it on that, that there's no bad Bond film and Die Another Day is nowhere near as bad as everybody makes it out to be. There's nothing in that that's any more ridiculous than some of the stuff you find in other Bond films. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love Yeah. I love that in this one, they changed it from a bank robbery to an art heist. I know that they talked about doing it as a bank robbery again, but um, John McTurner was like, nobody's going to empathize with this guy, you know, a rich guy robbing a bank. Yeah. It's like it's not a fun crime kind of thing. I think. I think also just it gives it a bit more visual excitement as well, because I suppose this is tail end of the nineties, so there have been a fair few whack of bank robbery heist films. Yeah. By this point, so suddenly you've got something that's more interesting, and it also gives you a better MacGuffin to play with and to visually symbolise on screen. Um, having the money. Yeah. I think as well, this, I'm not saying it is, but there's some, with the exception of maybe films like Heat and that, there's something a bit more street level about a bank robbery. Whereas this feels like a sophisticated crime done by sophisticated people who have got, like Dennis Leary says, more money than sense kind of thing. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And it, it gives Dennis Leary sort of a bit more depth to his character because he's not just catching an out and out crook. He's catching someone that he just kind of doesn't give a shit about. Yeah. Yeah, like, when, like, when he tells like, you the like previous crimes he's been was. working on, you're kind of like, yeah. Jesus, it's like a holiday for you. Like a mm-hmm. guy beating his kids to death in a crooked real estate. It's like, yeah, I'll take the painting heist one. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, it does, but it just it just gives him, I feel like it gives his, um, particularly his sort of chemistry with Rene Russo, sort of a little bit, there's a little bit more conflict there because yeah. he's kind of just doesn't want to be working, working this case. And he's like, these are rich people that, normal people just wouldn't yeah interact with i am um, i bought a print of that painting from like the, you know the art shop that used to sell prints of art in my local town and then when we went to cardiff a couple of years ago they've got the original in the mm. museum there so I, I had my picture taken next to it oh that's great oh i'm jealous i'm jealous i when we were doing the blue sorry if i'm getting ahead of us but no, when no, we were no. doing the blu-ray um I initially, so I initially wanted to include the Monet and I initially wanted the artwork to sort of reflect that. But obviously then working with um, such a sort of big, big property and working with studios, suddenly you get licensing and lawyers and it was like, this is too much of a headache. But I did go down the rabbit hole of looking at where the rights for the painting sat. And it's an interesting read for anyone out there that just, um, that wants to know more about, about it because it's a, it was donated to the Museum of Cardiff way yeah. back. Because I didn't so realise it, it was there. Yes, so we went it, there and I was like, well, it's such an odd copy. place for it to be, isn't it? Yeah, because I assumed um, it was a copy. Yeah. And then we were and looking it at was, it and it's like, so, no, it's the actual one. 
I went it a bit was giddy. someone's wife way back uh, back in I want to say the early 1900s donated it to the museum rather than it bouncing around because obviously a lot of famous paintings like that are typically held in a private collection and then yeah. loaned to a museum for display um and so it just sort of i used to work in the arts and so the art sort of like nerd in me was like this is actually a really fascinating painting on its own because it doesn't sit privately it sits sits actually in the hands of a museum yeah i stopped myself from stealing it obviously but... <laughs> or, or, or did you what did i have you got have you got a little panel behind you in the <laughs> wall that opens up i love that I've, I've always wanted to know how that case works on the John McTiernan's commentary says that they did have a whole elaborate thing explaining how it works. Because like, how do you do it without breaking the frame? Yeah. How does it not have a crease down the middle? That's it. When he takes it back out. But it was like, we had this whole elaborate thing that explained how it worked, but we were just kind of like, no, nah, we don't need it. And I'm like, yeah, actually, no, yeah. I don't know if I do want to know how it works. Yeah. Every 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 time I watch it and I see him put it in, a little piece of me just goes, oh, no, don't close that. Don't, close, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I do love how they intercut the heist with him doing business as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a great sort of juxtaposition of setting everything up and that. And I want to live in a world where I visit an art museum before I go to work every day. And <laughs> I don't fancy being stuffed in that Trojan horse, though. No, 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 no. To I dread to think what that. Would be like. I mean, I'm quite claustrophobic <laughs> anyway, but jammed in there with four of the three of the sweaty dudes. <laughs> Of course, if you wanted to see it now, though, you'd have to stand in a queue, wouldn't you? And uh, you'd be surrounded by people just taking photos and selfies with it. Yeah. Nobody else was looking at it in Cardiff. I mean, it wasn't massively <laughs> busy when we were there, but I was kind of like, really? Nobody's Thomas Crown affair. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of. We've touched a little bit on the cast. Obviously, you've got your three leads, your Pierce Brosnan and Renny Rousseau. And um, Dennis Leary. I love Dennis Leary anyway. I mean, Dennis Leary's pretty much doing Dennis Leary. But, <laughs> but you know, when you want a Dennis Leary type, <laughs> spot on. I, I think he's great in this. I love just like, you know, his relationship with Frankie Faison in this as well. I love when he calls him when he, uh, like, he's taken it to the museum. It's kind of sweet when you think about it. I love that. little. I love his relationship with René Russo. I love how, you know, it's, it's borderline jealousy borderline just frustration having to deal with this <laughs> yeah that he's he you can really he actually really plays the conflict with her really well because he is really he's frustrated with her but also he's frustrated that he can't be with her more yeah there's you could you could tell there's some internal conflict with what he's doing yeah i love his um life's full of shitty conflicts give something where he's just getting so frustrated with her holding mm-hmm. stuff back like I said, I love Frankie Faison as the his partner as well. I love when he looks at the Son of Man painting at the end, just the face he pulls when he looks at it. <laughs> wonderful little bit. I mean, you've got like Ben Gazzara, who's got quite high billing, but he's barely in it. Like he's in mm-hmm. the board meetings at the beginning, and then he's there in his house when they go to execute the search warrant. It's like that's a great bit of casting. And obviously, Faye Dunaway is the psychiatrist. Yes, yeah, so who's the just the intercut yeah. throughout. I love how they is... cut that into the opening credits. And I also kind of love that it's not explored where that sits within the timeline of the story. There's no, oh, he was really in the office all along. So you could kind of slot that in. Although I do think she might be a terrible um, therapist uh, when she's (laughs) laughing her ass off at him. Yeah. I'm not sure that's overly professional. (laughs) (laughs) 
But again, I get the feeling that she's frustrated with him as well. I love the way he plays boredom. It's really nicely, subtly done, but just how sort of detached he is from everything. Oh, absolutely. And I love one of my favourite scenes in the whole thing is when um, him and Rene Russo are sat outside and they've, they've got the little fire going. Yeah. And they're, they're talking about putting the painting on the fire. And they actually, and every time I watch it, I'm like, don't put the painting on the fire. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And just yeah. hoping that. I, it's I need the closure happen. of knowing that was a copy. Yeah. Was I can, it, I can really Renoir just feel the tension. It is. So I love. I like that he like you know tells her that he's got a copy of the Son of Man painting as well, so she knows that that's the one to look behind when she sees it in his house, and yeah, just those little seeds laid throughout. And I love how that plays in obviously later on as well. Down well, that, to the last line of the film. And that that's what I mean in that Matin and just every detail is planned. Yeah, and every everything is a clue for something else later on in the film. And it's... I love films that do that. Like I say, their chemistry, their first meeting is really well. I love how she clocks him as being off during the lineup. And that sort of raises her suspicions and that. Um and then like I say, I love when she goes and confronts him. I think you know, as Dennis Leary said, balls out tells him he's a suspect. <laughs> and I love his, you know, always get your man, think you'll get me. I love the little smile on his face as well. Because again, with the original, I don't really get that doesn't play as well for me. And again, I'm aware that I'm coming at that from the flashier remake. It's a bit like going and watching the original Ocean's Eleven after you've watched the Clooney one. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the original, I do just think it kind of breezes through and it upplays, I guess, the relationship between Faye Dunaway and Steve McQueen um, and that rivalry between them. Uh, but it, there's just something that feel, it feels like they're coast through. And in, in a way... It feels like McQueen and Dunaway have too much chemistry. And it's that, um, have you ever watched Friends? Yes. Yeah. And it's the rule that Joey says that if someone's got chemistry in real life, they probably don't have chemistry when they're acting. And I feel like there's a bit of that there is that they're really good together, um, but it doesn't necessarily come off as, it's sort of, it's, I don't know. It doesn't have that same playful energy that Rene Russo yeah, has. Yeah, I think have together. I think McQueen in particular is quite detached mm-hmm. because I think he's playing that ice cold Steve McQueen stereotype of Steve McQueen kind of thing, and it's you get a little bit of vulnerability with Brosnan. I think, like the way he delivers the line when she says, "Oh, this must really go over like, with whom, whoever you bring it." It's like, "Oh, I never bring anybody here." The way he delivers that line mm-hmm. and her reaction to that line as well. Um, I think I, that you you hit got the right word there with vulnerability. I think there's a sense in in the remake that um, you kind of feel like Brosnan could get caught. But Ron, Rene Russo genuinely feels like she's right there, and you feel like she she could sort of catch him and hand him in. Whereas in the original, Steve McQueen always feels like he's the more powerful of the two yeah. of them. Yeah, I like as well that. We don't really see much of Thomas Crane without Rene Russo. Mm-hmm. I think that plays nice as well. So we focus a bit more on Rene Russo as well. Mm-hmm. So he's a bit more mysterious that way. I say the way they play with each other, the way she gets frustrated with the dogs at cards, ghost painting underneath. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love the, you know, which then leads to the dance scene. I love that dance scene. I love 
the little tidbit that he has to wear a white undone bow tie because his bond contract says he can't wear a black yeah. bow tie it's done up. <laughs> yeah. which is such a weird little clause i get it but at the same time it's such an odd little thing yeah i don't know i, I don't know if that's still in play actually i can't remember when i last saw craig in a dinner suit in, in another movie. I, I kind of get the feeling if craig said i need to wear a tux in this film they'd be like yeah fine whatever yeah yeah but, um, but yeah, 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 yeah. You have one of Cubby Broccoli's little, little rules. Yeah, it's just a fun little tidbit kind of thing. I I love the actual heist itself. The, you know when Brosnan actually steals the paint. I love the setup with mm-hmm. the three guys. Yeah, I love his heist. I love tripping up the guy and then ducking under and stealing the paint. Like yeah, I, lo- I love that. Yeah, the the elaboration of setting all that up just so that they like getting them deliberately caught. Yeah, I I can only imagine they're like really horrible dudes. <laughs> Yeah, they one hundred percent deserve to be set up. But, <laughs> and I like um Bobby, the uh, museum proctor, as well. Mm-hmm. Love that little relationship with him. I like the idea of the heater raising the temperature. There was used to be a program on BBC Two called Hollywood Science with Robert Llewellyn from mm-hmm. uh, Crying from Red Dwarf, where they um basically took things from films and then did a bit like MythBusters, but UK, and they basically established that that would work in real life kind of thing but for the benefit of the film it's, like, it's such a great idea <laughs> yeah and i love the way she spots the third leg i love the way it's always ticking over in her mind you feel like she's a smart person figuring stuff out rather than just stumbling on again it would yeah, be easy it. to yeah horribly underwrite her yeah not nothing's nothing's coincidence she gets from a to b completely on her own on her own measure that's it and you know, and she and she she doesn't crumble at the point. It's not a that that stereotypical leading man leading lady relationship where oh suddenly she crumbles and um she's completely under his sort of trance. There's a there's a hint of that, but also a hint of that she just really wants to. It's it would be interesting to see at what point when she was playing it she her she decided the character goes from really wanting to nail him to really wanting to sort of yeah sort of be with him a bit more yeah because it's they always feel dis there's always a distance between them even when they get really close i love the scene like one of the sexiest bits in this film is like her led on top of him in bed in the caribbean hut like led on his back mm-hmm. it's just i don't know there's something really sexy about that and again Whenever I say sexy, I don't mean in a leery, blokey sort of uh, kind of way. I mean in a, and you know, it's not even a sex scene. It's just, I don't know, two really intellectual, attractive people. Mm-hmm. Like both of them are sexy. It's oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I love that whole like date thing where he takes her up in the glider and then pretty much abducts yeah, and her. <laughs> the um a lot of the there's a lot of the, the vehicles in that Caribbean stuff. There were a lot of those were John McTiernan's actual cars, weren't they? Yeah, I got a feeling that even the tractor was his. Then when they land mm. in the field, I think, and yeah. there's a there's a I was I was reading this earlier. There's a the green roadster. Um, I don't know if it's just in the back of somewhere something, but apparently was originally going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger's car in Last Action Hero. Oh right, oh, that's cool. That then pops up in this some somewhere. Yeah. That's very cool. I love their other date scene as well when they go out for dinner. I love their little conversation. Oh, you know, fear of being trapped, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the dialogue is great in this. It's Again, it could be that, you know, I was 20 at the time, so it possibly sounded more adult than it actually was. But it's 
it's certainly as I've got into my forties, it still sticks as being really smart. Yeah, or at least it, the way it's, it's, it's delivered and played. It's that age-old thing of um, actors that you—they're both sort of vying for power in the scene, and every line sort of is they're passing the power of the scene yeah. back and forth between each other, and that's actually really interesting to watch. Yeah, it's it, it's it's amazing chemistry between them. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's quite cruel at times. The way he toys with her with Anna, sort of, mm-hmm. you know, and I like the I love the Anna reveal at the end. Yeah, and it's I I like that we as an audience sort of see that from her perspective. Yeah, and then it's presented. It's presented. He's like he's kind of toying with us as well, um, and our assumptions with her. That's it. Because pretty much once he stole the painting, everything plays out. Once she enters, everything plays. We discover it as she discovers kind of thing. So mm-hmm. when she finds the painting, we don't know. It's again a lesser filmmaker would have had a elaborate thing of. And a forge in that, and yeah, it getting put back. Yeah, and oh, well, of course, as well, you would have if that had been made now, you probably would have had a flashback that then explains everything. Yeah, like, there would have been a very literal sort of visual representation of it on screen. I, I love as well when he sort of things you don't necessarily notice. Right? First couple of times I watched it, I didn't notice that he keeps leaving briefcases. <laughs> like when yeah. he puts it down, yeah, and that, he does it at the very start, doesn't he? I never clocked it that he like got out of the car with his briefcase and then didn't have it when he went to the office, even though she points it out. Mm-hmm. It just completely and then when he puts it down to use to block the thing open. Which I love that case, that sounds like case. Great. I love the detective who's telling him about it as well. And then obviously that's when Renny Russo makes the big entrance. Mm-hmm. Starts picking holes in Dennis Leary's theory. Alright, let's just track this thing through. So they kill the air, make the place uncomfortable, drive out the turrets, right? Then they lower these gates so nobody can get in to disturb them. Then they lower the paintings into the cargo nets, pull the paintings, ditch the frames. Figure they're going to fly out of here like a road company of Peter Pan. But somebody makes them early. Chopper takes off. Some of the crew make it, some of them don't. Basically amateur night. Right? What's that? Uh, It was wedged under the gate. And? Not exactly Sam tonight. Titanium. The engineer said it'd have to absorb 15 to 20 tons to stop this gate. Seems there may be a couple holes in your theory. They shut off the air to drive out the tourists. Then they escort them out anyway? Then they close the gates to keep everybody out, but block one of them open while they prepare to load, conservatively, a thousand pounds of paintings and 800 pounds of men that we know about in a, um, what was the chopper model? Sikorsky S-76. Right. In a chopper with a 600 pound useful load. You, uh, figure you'll route this every morning, do you, Lieutenant? Uh, it's Detective. And, you know, I'm a little fuzzy about who you are. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Catherine Banning. Of? Zurich Underwriters requested... Well, actually, they... Your insurance. Let's say there are a couple of Swiss gentlemen who'd rather not write a $100 million check. Tom, I'm stuck with you on my back. Oh, come on, Lieutenant. Who knows? You might enjoy it. 
say the use of music in this as well, both Bill Conti's score and, like you say, Cinnamon. Everything is never quite enough. It's a great song that plays over the sex scene. I love that that sex scene is both sexy and funny. Mm -hmm. I I love that it plays up the ridiculousness of sex and, you know, the fun side of sex, whereas other films it would have been, like, you know, this serious, sexy. It's two people having fun with each other. It really comes across. It really adds to their personalities and Mm -hmm. lifestyle. It's... It's it's that literal, literal visualization of them. I guess yeah. wrestling for the power, dy- power dynamic. That's what I didn't get with Roger Ebert's review. Where he says about you know never feel like they're going to go to bed. It's like I felt like that straight away. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. It, at no point did I ever think there's just nothing between these two people. Pretty much as soon as they first met, I was like, go uh, to bed, yeah, go to like, bed. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. She's got no furniture. <laughs> but yeah, I love, I love the idea. That you know he puts the pain back straight away. I don't know if that legally completely absolves him of everything, but uh, but yeah, no, yeah, I do. I, I love that, and I love that it's it's there all along. They don't yeah. know. They're looking, they're looking for a couple the of days answer and then... right in the face. And I I love what I, is the reveal of that. It's that sort of way because it when that sinks in when uh, Dennis Leary realizes it when he lifts the pencil and it says Thomas Crown on the side of the pencil yes, one that's jamming the shutter open yeah. and I love that that's the moment he's like for fuck's sake <laughs> and there's a little plaque saying that it was donated by yeah, Thomas Crown yeah <laughs> it's a wonderful little thing um, I like that he stole her paint as well I'm not sure I trust an airport to return it but... no no that she just she just hands it over. That that lady could have been off. That's it. That's, that's an awfully big risk, given that they can't necessarily <laughs> find your bags that they put on the plane you were on. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, I do love that whole return in the painting scene. Mm-hmm. I want to know how he employed all them people. I suppose now it would be a flash mob, but to to where in nineteen ninety nine, like we're having a work stay out. You got to wear this, and we're going to wander around <laughs> the museum. You might get arrested, but don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's there's another um when I, again when I was doing the Blu-ray art one of the things um I was playing with early on of that was having uh Pierce Brosnan's portrait sort of um sort of fade away but into all of the printed versions of Son of a Man you know the ones yeah. that fall out of the briefcase again it was one of those things that would just have been a legal nightmare to do yeah um, that's that's the thing isn't it I know there's there was a very cool fan photo um, poster that was done that was um, basically done on Son of a Man as the poster kind of thing. Because again, it say that weaves throughout the film, even down to the last line of, you know, you ever try that stunt like that again, I'll break both your arms, which was a reference to the painting, which I didn't clock the first couple of times. And then when I started doing a deep dive, actually you know, into Son of a Man and the painting and all that sort of thing, that his arm was broken in that picture as well. Yeah, and then that, but that's it. And, and we get, there's so much more interesting stuff that you can weave into it by making it an art robbery rather yeah. than just a bog standard bank robbery. Yeah, it just makes it feel classier. Plus, you'd had Out of Sight the year before, which is very much about a bank robber, a sexy bank robber kind of no, thing. I've like, never, never seen that one. Oh, I love Out of Sight. It's great. If you like this, you'll like Out of Sight, I think. Oh, yeah. I um, put that on my list. But yeah, it's... um. Yeah, like you say, it's just an element of class to it. And it's also massively different world to the world I live in as well. It's proper movie mm-hmm. escapism kind of, 
because I'm, I'm never going to be a billionaire industrialist. Or... <laughs> do, you, do you think the billionaire industrialists watch this and they're like, yes, finally, I'm That's represented? That's it, because it's a weird thing, because you're essentially rooting for a guy who has got everything anyway. He's just mm-hmm. bored. <laughs> I love Dennis Leary's line about, you know, a big day for this guy's taking off his tie. <laughs> I do like that we get to see the little things like him on the schooner. Well, I love his little golf game as well. You know, beautiful Saturday morning, John, what the hell else have we got to do? Um, Brosnan's great in this. He did, it's like, uh, a friend of mine is like, you know, he's got naff dad energy. I was like, no, I don't. And maybe in some of his films, he's got naff uncle energy. But yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd love Pierce Brosnan to be my dad. He'd be a great dad. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, no, he, he does. He oozes sort of suave, cool charm. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's what made him perfect for Bond and makes him perfect for this. Yeah. No, I again, it was he capitalized on peak Brosnan with with this. I think this is my favorite non-Bond Brosnan film. Like I'm saying it's one of my all-time top five favorites as well. Yeah, um, you can well you can you can just tell he's having fun. He's having more fun with the material. Um, he's enjoying sort of delivering the lines, and it's it's a shame that he's not given more roles like that now. Really, I think he I think he's got that same sort of energy that um, George Clooney has. Yeah, and I definitely think he's yeah he's, he sort of slipped into this weird pastiche of his bond kind of thing mm-hmm. straight to video thrillers kind of well, not straight to video anymore obviously but that sort of thing like you know the november man those sort of films which are fine mm-hmm. but it just i don't know i know for a the, long the, the, time he wanted to make a sequel to this um that was going to be a remake of another film i can't remember the name of the film now annoyingly um i remember him being on jonathan ross's chat show on bbc one talking about they were close to getting it off the ground which I don't want a sequel to this. No, it's such a it's such a neatly wrapped up story. I guess you could do, you could do a sequel better for the original than rather than this. Yeah, the I way just, this closes. I don't want to see him with somebody else. I mean, mm-hmm. part of me wonders whether those two would have a future beyond the end of the film, kind of thing. But it was lightning in a bottle. I think this the chemistry between the two of them, everything falling into place. And, I mean, they kind of did it with um, After the Sunset a little bit. That felt like a not official Thomas Crown Affair remake, um, sequel kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, yeah, I think everything just gelled perfectly in this one. I, I don't think you could capture it again with a sequel or better it. No, no, I think you're right there. And I, 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 it, again, that thing of this is a great remake because it's remaking something that was only okay. I don't want to see a remake of this either. I don't want to see someone else do it. No, because again, they talked for a long time about, I think, since Amazon are I think they've talked about maybe turning it into a TV series, which again, unless it's going to be a mm. limited mini-series, but again, I don't know where you could stretch that a, that far. A TV series, I feel, would it would break up that energy and that yeah. sort of... Build. The the well, the great thing about this is how it just builds and builds and builds and builds going throughout their their chemistry together, but also the sort of puzzle of you trying to figure out what one earth you've done with the painting. Yeah. I think if you broke that into chunks, you'd be spoiling that momentum and it wouldn't have the same. No, that's it. And I think if they did a remake, they have to steer clear of a bank robbery and a painting. Because I know for a long time, Michael B. Jordan was attached. Oh, to a remake. That's interesting. Which, yeah, would have been interesting, but I'm just not sure 
I don't know, the world's changed so much since 1999 as well. Yeah, I think I think if you were going to remake this, you could you could arguably sort of take the same basic plot, but do it differently. Change him from Thomas Crown. Give it, make a new original script that sort of follows very similar story beats. That I could get behind. Yeah, but not a another Thomas Crown. I can't see anyone topping Brosnan. No, I mean, like I say, they might do it, and people love it, and then look back at this one. We kind of yeah, it's a little bit flat <laughs> compared to this one. A bit like I am with the McQueen one, but mm-hmm. it's again, I think, yeah, they perfected it. A bit like the Ocean's Eleven things and that. It's like, you nailed it. You don't need to keep going. There's there's no shame yeah. in being like, you know, we did that perfectly once. We can leave it alone. But I'd like I say, I think with Amazon, when they bought it, MGM, they were looking through all the stuff. You know, like, what can we, what properties have we got that we can start remaking kind of thing? Oh, um, absolutely, yeah. Which is just, it's not something you can franchise either, so. Invest. And I, I think that that kind of probably helped this when they were making it. Is that you can tell no one's really like gunning for a sequel. They're not leaving yeah. anything open ended or anything like that. It's all its own contained script and story. Yeah. yeah, that's it. It's they either lived happily ever after or they went their separate ways. And he went back to <laughs> the movie. I do want to see is him coming back. But I imagine it'd be really boring of just he's a rich guy so his lawyers would be kind of like, yeah, he was just having a laugh. Let him off with a fine or a warning. See him having to sort of deal with her ongoing Pepsi addiction. <laughs> yeah, she. Thing. I get gas and just what, yeah, Pepsi one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of things that have moved on since nineteen ninety nine, but yeah, she downs that can. I feel really gas. I mean, again, I'm in my forties <laughs> now, so just sipping coke makes me feel gassy. But, but yeah, she necks that in one. I love again Frankie Faison's face where he's watching her just down in it. He's just kind of... <laughs> it's 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 so it's so strange because you do have she's she is incredibly sexy and then she just downs a can of Pepsi. Yeah, it's because it, she's not trying to think of the right sort of. I mean, this was sort of ladette time as well, mm-hmm. the, very much the culture over here at the time in the late nineties kind of thing. It sort of plays into that. She's a bit. I know you can tell she fits in with the guys. Kind of, thing. it's interesting that there's no female characters around her. She just mm-hmm. fits, but then is a woman in a very much male-dominated sort of world. I imagine again in '99 and not just such a minefield to try and talk. About. I know what I'm trying to say, but I don't want to say it wrong. <laughs> but yeah, she's very much in a male world, particularly in this film as well. She's chasing a man. She's working with men. She answers two men. But she's holding her own and outsmarting pretty much all of them. Yeah. I I love the little backstory about her family. Her her dad being a Clarence bumper oat. used to tie the guy to the back of the bumper and drag him back. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Her brothers are plumbers. That's something. I love the little snippets of her life. The ambassador's son. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, but also, it, also, we we don't see it as well. No. Again, if this was if this was made today, or if it was TV series, that'd be where they'd be like, right, we're going to pad out the running time there. And That's have it. We'll have a whole episode on her flashback, yeah. like for her from a little girl up to walking into the Thomas Crane affair kind of thing. Mm. It's, and and again, it just... we, we'd have it with him as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, little little Tommy Crown running around Dad's mm. estate kind of thing. Again, I think the beauty of Thomas Crown is that you know very little about him. Yeah. Beyond what he shared in the film, kind of thing. Well, that's it. You you know what he wants you to know. 
That's it. In the same way, and in the same way, you know what the film wants you to know while you're watching it. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, he, he clearly gets off on power. I love the cop blocking the elevator at the beginning. Like, what are you in the building or something? And then there's the way he smiles, <laughs> and obviously, you get to see the little bits of thrills he has in the business deals after the whether in the lift after the lot of them together. Mm-hmm. Which again, it's very difficult to sympathise with acquisition and merger kind of yeah guys and taking over family businesses and you, liquidating you, them. you get you can get the contrast of how he's like fed up with that yeah and kind of wants a bit wants a bit more thr- thrill seeking yeah i do love his office as well it's very wooden paneled but mm-hmm. oh it's very 90s it's yeah paintings hanging from the wall but amazing view of the uh helipad that he gets her to meet him out at the end but he isn't there I do love that scene where she's just racing to get to it. It's a, it's a it's a beautiful visual that scene as well because yeah. the camera pulls out and she's just stood there. Yeah, how small she is against everything else. Yeah, um, like because yeah. obviously this ends differently to the original. The in the original, he flies off alone, doesn't he? And she's watching him from the ground. Yes, you get that lovely shot of her sort of looking up at the plane. She's... Yeah, and him looking at where yeah, is it? This one. Um. He's he's on the seat behind him, which I'd love oh. to know the plan of that. Did he have to swap seats with people? <laughs> can, I, can I just? He spends the whole flight like can I that's just... it. That's it. having to do having to do like favors as he works up the plane, like having to nurse someone's baby, and he's like, right now, can I swap seats with? He's you? got a big wad of cash. I'll give you a thousand dollars for that seat. Yeah. <laughs> and but... how she how and him having to sit down without her noticing. Yeah. As well, making sure she gets on first and then sneaking in behind, hoping he doesn't have to board from the front of the plane. That's it. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like how lackadaisical that uh, flight attendant is to safety when she realizes that they're making out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's fine. Ah, fine. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just a guy. Um, I love, again, it's something that was made up for the film, but I love the idea of the borders of the painting. Being photographed. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was that made, that made up for the film? Again, I think it's something John McTiernan's commentary on the DVD, he says about oh, it was something I'm, I'm kind of heart, I'm film. kind of heartbroken. I know. I, I feel like that... I, I think cause I worked in so I worked in a gallery here in Manchester um, that does the Lowrys, and I'm pretty sure I used that as like a tidbit, and I was like trying to make myself sound really smart at some point in front of someone. Yeah, according to John McTiernan on the DVD commentary, it's, made, right. it's one of those things, though. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. But you take a photo of the bits that nobody's ever seen. So that... Seen, yeah. But, but yeah, it's uh, just one of those nice little details that I love when they're going to see the different forgers as well. Mm-hmm. I love the guy in prison. It's like, what, you think they FedEx me yeah. pink? And I just... <laughs> yeah. I just smile as I while away my time madly copying a Monet in my cell. And I love it, but it, it, I, I love the, the again the thing that the film just doesn't tell you what's happening there and then. If if they were going to make this now there'd be another dramatic reveal right there that oh there's something going off. But it kind of underplays it. Yeah. And yeah, she's I, just doing the mental gymnastics afterwards. I, I love his little smile when he clocks it on the painting. Mm-hmm. And you sort of see a little close up of a brush stroke. I love that that you know, being into drawing and art as well. That you recognise somebody's thing just from a stroke of a brush or a little flair they put into it, kind of thing. 
there was a, there must have been someone on that set that obviously did that did that specific painting that they used for that scene. Who must have been really proud and had to decide. They were like, hmm, where can I put a little? What can I use to make it look? <laughs> what can what can I add to this painting to make it look a little bit off? So had to sit and work it out. I mean, she knocked that painting over the Monet together quite quickly as well. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. That's very impressive. I do wonder if they had to coat it so it didn't get damaged by the water. Yeah, that one that has always sort of puzzled me ever since I first. Does that count as criminal like, damage? <laughs> yeah, I was like, surely that there would be some marks on that, right? <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, there you go. If 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 I can believe the case that folds it without breaking <laughs> it, then. <laughs> I'm willing to let it slide. I couldn't see anything on it when I saw it in the. <laughs> can it, can they can they arrest Thomas Crown for the paint on the wall? Is yeah. that how they can get him damaging the wall of the museum? I'm pretty sure a sizable donation to the museum would sweep that whole thing under the rug. <laughs> Honestly, the awkward scene with him and like you know Bobby after it's happened, <laughs> awkwardly meeting. It's kind of <laughs> so uh, that time you yeah yeah yeah. Oh, you see, well, it, again, remake, that would be your after credit scene. That would be your post credit scene of him it. going back and sitting back down in the museum. Him trying to move through the social circles he used to be in. <laughs> I imagine they probably all find it quite exciting. But I, I do love how Bobby clocks the thieves by the reflection, the shadow of the helicopter. The, the, yeah, the rotor oh, That's blades. a great little bit. I love how Bill Conti's music builds up to them coming out dressed as the um, museum proctors as well. In the uniform, yeah. just the, the way that goes, and the sort of coral oh, as they come out of the door, such a great bit. And uh, love Yanni as well with his not being able to speak any English. I love that interrogation scene as well, where none of it's got subtitles. Yes, yes, of course. I, I love that. That's just left to work it out for yourself. And who knows what she said to him? It's probably an incredibly dull conversation, but. Because you don't actually know what's being said. I think we <laughs> I don't even a... know what language it is. They think Romanian. It's probably. It's, it's prob- it might be like that episode of um, Red Dwarf, um, the backwards one, where yeah. if you play a bit of it backwards, it, it's the guy saying, "Oh, who's I feel sorry for the sad person that's yeah. around this and figured out what I said." Maybe it's like maybe she's saying something similar to that. Like yeah. the audience <laughs> will never know what we're saying. <laughs> That's it, because I'm amazed nobody's translated it anyway. I then I suppose there's not the cultural following for the film where somebody's bothered to put the effort in to do it. Um, and again, like I say, they don't actually specify which language they're speaking. They think Romanian, but mm-hmm. they're, they're not 100% sure. That's such a great idea. I love the towel lasso as well when she uh, flings out, which apparently had a weight in it, and that's what made it current. Because I've tried flinging a towel like that, not at a person, just... <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> I've damaged a lot of things. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how you spent your spare time for the past twenty years. <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> but uh, no, I love it, and and I, I there's just I feel like it's one of those films, like you say, it doesn't have the big cult following, but I feel like there's a there's a little following of people who probably seen it and could have a. A good chat about the one I remember Tenet a couple of years ago and I felt like there's the I forget what they're called the boats and he topples one of them one of them over in Thomas kind of head doesn't he yeah are they um, schooners or is a schooner something else I'm well, not a, I'm, not, I'm sure. not a massive boat guy to be honest <laughs> um 
but they they pop up again in Tenet, and I remember yeah. watching Tenet and being like, that that's the Thomas Crown affair. Um, and so I, I feel like that's a little sly nod from Nolan, who's yeah, very tuned. I've not seen the film, but there's a bit in the trailer for one of the Fifty Shades of Grey movies where they're flying in a glider, like in the Thomas Crown affair as well. Mm. That's blatantly taken just from that. Crimes <laughs> <laughs> in this thing, I never thought I'd see that. Thomas Crown forced to sell something. <laughs> so what do you think, Crown? You don't have any regrets about the way you played this, do you? Regret is usually a waste of time. <laughs> As is gloating. You figured out what you're going to say to your board when they learned that you paid me 30 million more than others were offering? Good morning, gentlemen. I think we sort of covered the, the body of the film itself. Um, is yeah, there anything I, I, I guess, else? I guess, I guess the overlying thing is, if we're not clear, is this is a great movie. If yeah. you've not watched this movie, go watch this movie because it's bloody brilliant. Um, it is. It's one. Of, it doesn't pop up on telly as much as it used to. It used to, like, it was terrible. I'd be like, Sunday night, be going to sleep, just put something on to sort of start to nod off and be like, oh, Thomas Cranover's on. Before I know it, it's one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you've watched the whole thing, yeah. But it's one of those films that just once I get suckered into it, no matter what point it is. Just, it's, it's exactly yeah. the same thing with the Bonds. When, yeah. That's how the Bonds have got their longevity. Is you just watch it and then you're just, you're along for the ride straight away. It has that, it just has that momentum of every scene just carrying on and building. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's it. It's, it's probably the last great John McTiernan film as well. I know after this he did another Norman Jewison remake with Rollerball, and then I can't remember if he made anything well, yeah, else that, before he wasn't that his the time. point that he, wasn't that the point? Yeah, he got caught for the tapping, wasn't that? Rollerball? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's um, but yeah, I mean, prior to this, obviously, Hunt for October, Die Hard, mm-hmm. Last Action Hero, Predator. It's like great director. Not necessarily one you'd think of for this, but it's such a classy touch. Yeah, it's it's such a it's a very different beast for him, I guess. Yeah. It's not action. It's it's he's and maybe that's what makes it makes it so good is he he's taking what he knows from the from generating energy and action in action films and applying that then to a very sort of small character drama. Yeah, um, and so maybe maybe that's why it works so well, and that's why it flows so well is because he's a approaching it slightly differently yeah that's it there's great shots in this and camera angles and top of his game with Tiernan for me I think as much as I love Die Hard and Predator and all the other films you just mentioned <laughs> but and particularly Hunt, possibly Hunt for Red October is possibly the closest to this in being a character sort of piece but mm-hmm. or maybe Nomads but which is an early Brosnan McTiernan effort but, but yeah I mean we sort of touched on sequel ideas and remakes and that like say i know brosnan was keen to do one but i think that ship sailed now as well um i don't know here we, here we go let's do let's do it 24 years later older beers brosnan living with older Rene russo surrounded by pepsi cans i'd watch what it, are they I, gonna smuggle next i quite happily just watch those two in a different film together there's certain mm. people that it's like i don't necessarily want to see him again as those two characters but i'd love to see that energy on film again between this, the two of them. This the same sort of thing Clooney and Julia Roberts have. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, like pop them in a rom com together or something like that. Yeah, because I quite like a Brosnan rom com as well, like the one he did with Emma Thompson. And as as long as it's not a musical, then I'll watch Brosnan. In it. Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs>
I must admit, the only reason I saw Mamma Mia or was happy to go to watch Mamma Mia was my wife was kind of like, I just want to see Brosnan sing. No. <laughs> so just the curiosity of it is like, James Bond in a musical. Yeah, right. Why not? And, oh, yeah. bless him. Bless him. He tries. He tries. Well, so why it does make me wonder is because um so i I did musical theater as a teenager and the thing in musical theater circles you always say is you get two out of three so you get to be you can be a singer you could you out of singing acting and dancing you get two out of three no one gets three out of three and do you agree so if the fact that brosnan can't really sing means that his other two are probably acting and then dancing so i want to see brosnan dance in something because i bet he's really fucking good at it yeah he did he busts some moves in this but, but yeah, I mean, yeah. There's there's very few triple threats. Probably Hugh Jackman, Zac Efron. Um, trying to think of other triple threats. <laughs> um, sort of all rounders. But yeah, no, you're right. It's it's a treaty. So I mean, we sort of again touched on it throughout. Obviously, I was aware of your work before. I have some of it hanging on my wall. Oh, thank you. Sort of, I have the License to Kill and the Tomorrow Never Dies. My two favorite bonds. Oh, I like see. I love. I love that tomorrow never. I I I adore tomorrow never dies. Tomorrow never dies. It's my first there. cinematic Bond. Ah, oh, that's a great one. Might see mine was dying the other day. So. Yeah, I love it. So <laughs> my wife's kind of like, do we need? Because I've got those two. I've got all in the same room. Um, the original Thomas Crown Affair UK quad poster and the Tomorrow Never Dies UK quad poster. So I was like, do I have to have that much Piers Brosnan staring at me? Yes, yes, you do. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but oh no, that was that was one that Tom that Tomorrow Dies poster I did. That was one of the very early ones I did back in lockdown. So so yeah, I should put. This, I guess this is where I talk about myself. Yes, yeah, because um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm I'm not as exciting as Thomas Crown, I'm afraid. Um, but that was I. So I've been a designer nearly ten years now, and I did five in um, an art center and gallery. Um, and then when lockdown came, I lived, by, I lived by myself. So I was just suddenly stuck with time. And I was like, I've always wanted to do some Bond pastiche kind of things. Um, and those original Japanese Bond posters, I've got two of them. For those who are just listening, I've got showing them on my wall. Oh, yeah. Um, nice. uh, and those original posters, those Japanese ones in particular, have always inspired me because I'm, a, I'm kind of, I'm really shit at drawing. Um, and I love the art and sort of craft of those posters of where they've obviously just taken promo photos and then cut round with a razor blade and assembled them and recolored them and stuff like that. Um, so I kind of wanted to do something similar while I was bored in lockdown. Um, and Tomorrow Never Dies was one of those early ones. And I just did a few prints that so they did really well. And really humbled, humbled by that. Um, but Tomorrow Never Dies was one of those early ones. And even I didn't keep a copy of those. All right. <laughs> Um, but I love, I do, I love Tomorrow Never Dies. I'd love to do something else with Tomorrow Never Dies. I love Michelle Yeoh as well. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I got there, and I think it was one of the Bond groups on Facebook. Somebody bought one. I was like, where, where now? Tell me links. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, straight on your Etsy, and bought that. I bought some of the postcards you did as well. Missed out on yeah. a few as well. Obviously, as you got more popular, stuff went like lightning <laughs> fast. <laughs> yeah, that was that was part of. I don't. I only do the Etsy periodically now just because it became such a sort of big thing. Yeah. Like there were days when the, my flat behind me just tubes all over the floor because I'm doing everything <laughs> by myself. Um, and I, 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 
I love that I am I am just really humbled that then that's now led to me. I'm self-employed now. I was able to leave my design job and then go into doing stuff full time and doing Blu-ray work, particularly for eighty-eight films, which is yeah. how the Thomas Crown Affair gig came along. Yeah, which I was gonna say sort of brings us on to the so at the time this episode comes out, Thomas Crown Affair would have come out on Blu-ray yesterday, assuming there's no delays in it okay. from eighty-eight films. Yes, I um, I don't think there are delays. I saw the sort of test copy had arrived in the office very recently, so I awesome. think it should be going ahead as normal. Yeah, so um, and obviously I'll put links to the 88 Films page for where you can buy it from when it comes out. But it's adorned with new artwork, which I love the original, got the DVD, but it's, mm-hmm. apart from this random oh, airport who's that? thriller, I don't know. It's on the posters, but it's just a really random image. It oh. looks like it was taken from the front cover of a thriller you'd get at an airport. Oh, oh that's like a that's guy Max running of... away with a briefcase. Yeah. So someone at the time saw the, they used the original poster art, that Brosnan and Rene Russo image. And someone in the office at the time went, doesn't look exciting enough. You need to put yeah. something else. And some designer begrudgingly went, here, you can have this stock image that's in it. the corner. Dave, run away from that light carrying your briefcase <laughs> yeah. for me. <laughs> But it's just such a random little move. But I do still love that poster. And But then I saw yours. I was like, oh, that is perfect. I all, when I saw your Tomorrow Never Dies one, I was like, every time I look at it, I'm like, I wish he'd do a Thomas Crown Affair one. Like, to the point where I was like, tempted to commission him, but I don't have to now because <laughs> 88 yes, films have done it for me. <laughs> Yeah, I well, I, I, so I, I adore working with the 88 films guys anyway because... Um, I get a lot of, they give me a lot of freedom, which yeah. is so wonderful as an artist. It's well, it's well paid and I get to do stuff that I want with it. It's not, I'm not given a very strict prescriptive brief. So that was really nice. Um, and it first came up in discussion. Well, I want to say a good year or so before it started. And they were, we just done a film called the 7% solution which is a Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes meets Sigmund Freud and it has Laurence Olivier in it. Um, and I'd just done the artwork for that. That was one of the very first ones I did with 88. But that was a partnership uh, release with MGM, which yeah. they've done. They've done a few with MGM. Um, so I'd just done that. And then it was, I'd obviously then I was doing more, I do a lot of Hong Kong titles. So I've done a lot of Michelle Yeoh films in particular, yeah. them, which I really enjoy. Um, and then I a little bit after that, I, I did another movie that I probably can't say what the title is on record. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, and I did artwork for that. Uh, and that was with another studio. It wasn't with MGM. It was with another, a partnership with another studio. And sadly, that one fell through. The release, um, it hasn't come out yet, but the release was then upgraded to a different release. Then the studio said, well, we don't want to do artwork on that. We don't want this. And I was like, okay, that's a bit of a bummer, but... Um, and so, the, but then the guy said, "Well, we might be doing the Thomas Crown affair," and I was like, "Okay, that'd be amazing. That'd be perfect. Can't ask for better than that." And then it kind of went away and died away, and I was like, "Oh, well, maybe that's not happening." Um, and I kind of thought, "Well, off the back of what they, the studio experience we just had, maybe we we're not going to be doing that same process again for co-production releases because it's just like it's it's suddenly." when we do them with 88 and we do the Hong Kong films, we have sort of control over what we're putting out and we're developing the artwork and we can put out the artwork. When you're doing a production and doing something with studio help as well, suddenly the sign off process becomes a lot longer. There's a lot more people involved. 
as you would expect. Yeah. So I kind of thought, well, maybe that's never going to happen. And then I got the brief a few months later um, that just said, hey, I'm finally doing the Thomas Crown Affair. Um, it was a little bit different to how I normally work with them. Um, normally with a lot of these Hong Kong movies, um, sort of the unit still photography and stuff from the time has gone missing. So usually yeah. I just take the film and I'll be taking stuff from the film. Uh, whereas this was very specifically you I needed to work with um, approved promotional stills and stuff from the time. Um, so there was a lot of cleaning up to do on very sort of 90s treated photographs, yeah. heavy contrast um, and scans and stuff. And then obviously it was still it was still quite a lengthy process of going backwards and forwards and making sure everything was all right and everyone was happy with everything. But MGM were really nice and really lovely throughout and then what we came out with, I'm, I, it's something, it's one of the projects that I'm most proud to have ever worked on in my career. Yeah, really like I said, I, I love it. It's great. I was going to ask sort of like, you know, we, are you given specific images that you can cherry pick from? I, I guess MGM owned, do people like Piers Brosnan and Rene Russo have to sign off on as well? Or would they have pre-signed off on the images that were picked or? I, I suspect they were probably pre-signed. <laughs> they were probably uh, signed off on the images at the time. And that was probably yeah. part of, the requirement i'm not sure if it ever got through there was there's obviously uh conversations that we had to have with making sure that their likenesses after i treated them and yeah. put them together in photoshop still looked accurate and still look like they should yeah um but it it, it honestly it honestly wasn't it wasn't that hard of a process it was lengthy in some ways but just as you'd expect because it has to go through quite a few people it was yeah. And it, that does make it even better to look back at and make it something that I'm just really proud and sort of I feel really grateful yeah. to have got the opportunity to work and I was excited about it. Um, and But yeah, um, all the images on there were stuff that was uh, sort of pre-approved. And like I said earlier on, we were, initially I wanted to do stuff with the painting, but then that's just a whole yeah. new legal nightmare to work with. So Yeah, it's uh, I, I can imagine with that. But I do love that people like 88 Film and Arrow and all those ones that are re-releasing these films are putting new artwork on as well. I like that they've got the option for the original artwork as well. I tend to like to have the new artwork on the sleeve and then I turn the inner the cardboard slip cover. Yeah. I turn the other one inside out, so I've got both of them, unless it's a really nasty original bit. Right. <laughs> I, 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 I do like just... that they commission these new art. It shows some care and attention to the release. Well, exactly, and the the, the guys the, the guys at eighty eight were only a very small team, um, but there's there's so much love and so much sort of affection for every release, um, and yeah, the the new artwork I think just it gives it a more of a, a I don't know a, a sort of tangible excitement, better feel for when yeah. you're reproducing, especially especially considering this is a release that's already had a Blu-ray release, be it quite bare bones, yeah. Um, it's something to sort of set it apart from that and just something to sort of celebrate the film in a new way. Yeah, because that last Blu-ray release was really disappointing, I thought. It was it, it was it, quite it an, like it was was quite an early Blu-ray release, wasn't it? Yeah, it's I mean it doesn't even boast interactive menu or anything like that. It's <laughs> it's literally the three options, the the film, the chapter, the subtitles. It's mm. Um, I mean, I still bought it because it was the film on Blu-ray, but I was so excited when I saw it's coming out on Blu-ray because I bought the DVD on the day it was released. I was that excited for it. <laughs> like I say, I watched it daily for to the point where my flatmate was like, Jesus, are you watching this again? 
It's like, yes, yes, I am. You should have told them you were planning a bank heist. I, I was going out with a girl at a time at the time, and we went out for a meal with her family. And um, well, I, at the time the DVD came out, it was a different girlfriend to the one I saw at the cinema. Look at me humble bragging at the amount of girlfriends I had. <laughs> <laughs> but we went out for a meal, and I was talking to a dad about it, and he was like, "Oh, I really liked that film." And I was like, "Yes, yeah, one of the few films that's made me want to go and steal a painting." And he sort of looked at me, and it's like he used to be a policeman, so he was kind of like, "No, just no." no. <laughs> obviously, I was joking. <laughs> I don't have the resources to get like, four Romanian guys to come in. There's not really any paintings around here worth stealing. No offense <laughs> to any of the local artists, but they're not worth a hundred million. Hey, if you if you suddenly move to Wales, we all know what you're up to. Yeah, if I suddenly move to Wales and that goes missing, that yeah. was me. <laughs> but um, but awesome. But so, no, sorry. So no, I was just going to say the blue the Blu-ray is going to be. It's. It, I'm really excited, and I'm really excited to sit down with it and see because I don't know. Once I do my artworky bit, that kind of goes off, and yeah, that's sort of my bit. So I, I get the excitement then of it coming through and getting to watch it again and seeing how it's been cleaned up and what's what's been included. So with regard to the artwork, and obviously if you can't answer, just saying I can cut this bit out, but how does it go? Obviously they commission you, they own the artwork, but are you, do you get to keep it for like your portfolio? Can you reproduce it for other things or? Um, I'm guessing because it's a licensed thing. It's But this one in particular, then definitely not. Um, but usually, no, I, I wouldn't anyway. I kind of... As a designer, I like to. Yeah. I they pay me the fee, and then I'm happy to say this is yours yeah. to do what you with. They, they include posters in a lot of the releases. Yeah. Um, that I do. Um, yeah, like artwork. I say, it was a fairly inside baseball thing. It was just as as somebody who likes to dabble with art as well. <laughs> yeah, I I, I, I know this. I know um, Kung Fu Bob, who's a wonderful artist who does. He's done a lot of their Asian releases. Um, does does his own prints and i don't know what their arrangement is but um no and and also that's not and I'm, I'm i'm my own biggest critic to be honest i i hate a lot of the stuff i do so the idea of then revisiting stuff and putting stuff out later down the line is just yeah. something that, I, that makes me wince personally i'm always adamant that the thing i'm working on should always be better than what i've done previously yeah no i i can understand that i also so sort of where can people find your work online and follow you on Twitter? And I'll put all the links in the show notes, but yeah. Uh, so I'm just, uh, my, the best place to probably see my work is over on Instagram and I'm uh, at that tall ginger on Instagram. No, I'm not. I'm Sean Longmore on Instagram. <laughs> That's a, uh, And I'm at that tall ginger on Twitter, but honestly, I'm hopeless with socials and I'm hope. I'm just hopeless in general. I'm, I'm usually just sat here photoshopping probably a good 10, 15 hours a day and and then say I'm 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 dreadfully forgetful, but um there's people people that I work and I'm really just flattered by it. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Like I say, I will put all the links in the show notes so people can go in there and click and find it. I'll yeah. put a link to the 88 films website so people yes. can go straight on and buy it. Yes, the best thing to do is to buy the Blu-ray. I don't know uh um, they go up on the 88 website quite late. The best place to pre-order are places like Amazon and HIV, but this it's is coming out nice, after yeah. it's released, so it doesn't, so it doesn't yeah. matter. So yeah, yes, we... go go buy go buy the Blu-ray. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you for doing this, man. I really, really enjoyed it. No, thank you so much. Thank you. You don't need to climb.
Did you set this up, Wyatt? Did you set this up? Did you? Did you? Please, please, the seatbelt sign is still I'll tell you what. You pull a stunt like that again, I'll break both your arms. That was the Thomas Crown Affair. And why not? I'd like to thank Sean for joining me on the episode to talk about the film. Be sure to check the show notes for links to where to find his work. At the time of recording, the Thomas Crown Affair is available in the UK on Blu-ray from 88 Films and features new artwork by Sean himself. We put a shout out on the socials for your thoughts on and memories of seeing the film and we had a couple of replies. At Vanguard Comic on Twitter said, I watched this film whilst heavily stoned and it seemed to take years of my life to get through it. At Englishman SDC on Threads said, Forget Brad and Angelina, these two had sexual chemistry in spades. If they were a legit couple, their beautiful, beautiful progeny would be running the planet by now. And at 007 Insider on Instagram said, More men have walked on the moon than played Thomas Crane. I consider it a treat and a privilege to have had McQueen and Brosnan both play this iconic character. Both movies are superb. Thank you to everybody who took time to send in some comments for this episode. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts on the film, you can get involved in the conversation wherever you see this episode posted on our social media channels. Give us a follow on Threads, Blue Sky and Instagram, or why not join the Amwinal group over on Facebook. Not only will we be kept up to date of what episodes are coming up and have a chance to contribute to them, but we also post our picks of three great movies to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search Amwinal Pod on social media or check out the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and be bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. Or why not give the series a follow or subscribe over on Acast or wherever you listen to the episode. If you're feeling super generous, we'd be grateful of a rating or a review if you have a second or two to spare or if you don't we're just grateful that you spend the time listening to us thank you if you missed any and why not episodes so far you can find them on our podcast channel over on acast apple music spotify google Podcasts, good pods or on our website at hauntednerds.com in the meantime well for the first time this year i don't have anything lined up so in the meantime we're taking a little break from the pod for a few weeks i'm not sure if anything will drop in september but we'll definitely be back in october for spooktober in which we'll bring you a month of horror themed movies including our 2023 halloween special in which tom stewart and i will continue our journey through the screen franchise with scream 2 but until then this has been a Nerds Who Haunted Themselves production and I've been Stuart Moray. Thanks for listening and remember regret is often a waste of time as is gloating. Bye for now.